Welcome to Working Dog Radio. Broadcasting the bite. All right, let's talk about training. Uh, we're going to be at HITS in Scottsdale, Arizona this year, 2020, August 18th through the 21st. Eric and I are actually going to be instructing. Uh, so head over to HITS K9, letter K number nine dot net. Get signed up. Don't wait till the last minute like I know all of you people do. Head over and get signed up now before the prices increase. RayAllen.com. If you own a dog, train dogs of any sort, pet dogs, working dogs, any dog you could have, RayAllen.com, one-stop shop for anything you need. Stick around during the podcast. Listen for the discount codes, RayAllen.com, best in the business. Yeah, one of our favorite partners who signed on for the rest of this year is Dogtra. Uh, excellent remote collars and the ball trainer. I got like four of those things at the kennel. They're awesome. Popper and a dropper. I've got the Pro and the first version. Um, and one of my favorites is the 1900S. Head over to Dogtra.com and check out everything they got. And then listen in the, in the middle of the episode for the discount code. If you want a great dog, great training, and want to go hang out in Florida and do all that, especially in the wintertime, our great friends at Southern Coast Canine, uh, they're amazing down there. They've been doing it a long time. they got single-purpose, dual-purpose trainer schools, handler schools, admin schools down in the Daytona, Florida area, southerncoastcanine.com. And one of our favorite 501s is the guys from Georgia Canine Foundation. After dogs retire, there's a lot of associated costs, and the departments generally don't cover those. It's on the handler to, to cover that. Those guys at the Georgia Police Canine Foundation take care of those dogs post-retirement. Head over to the website, check it out, buy some T-shirts, donate some money, and take care of the dogs after they get done working. So if you uh, want a kennel, you want to be in a kennel business or you have one you need to expand, horizonstructures.com is amazing. They will show up at your place, prefab, pre-built kennel, plug it into your sewer, into your water, into your power, on your property, drop it, hook up, put dogs in it that day. It's amazing, horizonstructures.com. I want to bring attention to a seminar that's going to be happening May 4th through the 7th up in Toronto. It's going to be the 2020 CPCA seminar with lectures and uh, actual work. Some of the instructors that are going to be there are former podcast interviewees and friends of ours like Rigney, Cameron Fordon, and who else they got down there? I think, um, isn't Nesbitt there? Yeah, I think so. It looks like a, an amazing setup, man, with lectures and actual field exercises. And where it's located is just... Just north of uh, Toronto, so yeah, I mean, you don't necessarily have to fly there. Most people from you know at least the northern parts of the of the United States can actually drive up there. Yeah, in like five or six hours. Looks, so looking it, at the flyer, man, it looks really cool. Yeah, so it's four days. Uh, it's four hundred bucks a person. Uh, lunch and breakfast and a banquet dinner, um, and then they're going to have an Iron Dog competition entry also. But it's in uh, just outside of Toronto. If you want information on how to get there and what's going on and get signed up, be sure to hit up Constable Matt Aboffs at the Bar Police Station Services Canine Unit at area code 705-627-9893 or M-A-B-O-F is in Frank, S is in Sam, and then Bar Police. Police.ca, that's B A 
rriepolice.ca. Same thing with Constable John Lamont. It's going to be J Lamont, L A M O N T, at the same.ca. So at barpolice.ca. Yeah, it should be a good seminar. Um, our buddy Brad, who's up there, we've wanted to have him on the podcast before, never been able to make contact. But yeah, this should be a uh, should be a great seminar. Everybody hit it up. Yeah, check out CanadianPoliceK9.com, letter K number nine. That you can register online and everything on there. It's, it's going to be a good one. May 4th to the 7th, 2020. Yep. Go get them. All right, everybody. We're back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. Um, I am Eric Stambro coming to you from Ohio. Uh, we're in the middle of the throes of winter here all of a sudden. Um, with me, as always, is my co-host, Ted Summers, over in Tulsa, Oklahoma at Torchlight Canine. Ted, how is it going? Awesome. I had a handler school graduate yesterday, and they're gone. They're going to go bite fools and find drugs. Um, and I'm ecstatic that they're done. Um, <laughs> I love them all, but I, no, I, I want to get, get back to wearing my headphones and training green dogs. Um, <laughs> man, hmm. so yeah, that's, yeah, when I, cause I've got six or seven, seven green dogs here that have got to get done fairly quickly. Uh, had a handler's course, or I'm sorry, a trainer, a 22 week trainer's course graduate on Friday also. And I had another one start Monday. So um, uh, our buddy Travis, who's one of our HRD decoys, is going to be with me for 25 weeks, 24, 25 weeks, uh, going through our trainer school. Um, so, yeah, that ought to be interesting. But, yeah, other than that, we're about ready to start tornado season. I know it's cold up there. It's, like it's supposed to be like 75 degrees here today, which, yes, I am over winter. Dover was fucking miserable. It was so cold that last day we were at HRD. Talk real quick about the HRD decoy stuff we got coming up. So everybody needs to be paying attention to uh, the social medias, the Facebook, the Instagrams. Um, check out HRD Police K9 letter K number nine dot com. Uh, we're starting to do a program that's different from the HRD seminars. Uh, a large portion of um, the success of HRD has to do with our decoys um, through a selection process, which our guest today is also really well known for that as well. Um, and we wanted to kind of roll out a way for um, police decoys um, and civilian decoys, kind of like our guests today, that have a very good background um, in decoying already to help departments and training groups that may not have access to, you know, super world level decoys to give them kind of a foundation to run these scenarios and to start kind of working on some of the common problems that we see uh, with when we run these HRD seminars. So it's kind of like a, it's a, decoy seminar first and foremost, but it's also like a way that we're going to kind of help you ferret through some of the problems that we see routinely with patrol dogs, um, across the country that Eric and I and Ray have seen. So, uh, should be cool. We're going to have four HRD decoy seminars this year. Uh, we're going to do one in Pennsylvania, um, one in, uh, I think South Carolina, we're going to do one in Tulsa and one in St. Louis so far. Um, so, that should be interesting. We've got some really good instructors that are doing that. Uh, Sean Hagner is our uh, lead instructor for that. Uh, and then we've got several of our HRD decoys that have traveled with us all over the country. Tyler, Travis, Allie, uh, Eloise, um, all are, uh, who else? I missed somebody. Tank. Um, that, and Jason Davis, uh, are very, very, very good decoys, very experienced, um, that have decoyed for us at HRD and then can kind of bridge that gap for a lot of people, which is really what that's about. So everybody keep an eye out. Uh, Ray should be putting stuff up, man, I want to say by the first. So by the time you hear this, it should be up. So, um, but yeah, check it out. 
outside of that, what do we got going on, Eric? We got, uh, you know, our conferences coming up, Blue Line, um, Bravo 3, and uh, Hits, of course. Hits later in the year um, down in Phoenix. We're really looking forward to that. Um, right. Those are the three seminars or conferences that um, that we like to uh, endorse. We're teaching at all three of them this year. Yep. Uh, owned, we are. Owned by good people. No sex offenders own them. The integrity is there. Um Guys, you got to have integrity, man. I'm telling you, uh, if you're if you're a vendor, or a teacher, or an attendant at the magazine conferences, knowing that the owner is a convicted sex offender, I, I'm sorry, you can't justify that to me. You're wrong, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no two ways about it. You're wrong. It is not a necessary evil. He does not need to be in this business. He needs to be run out of this business. And um, like, for example, the other day, so pe- we've had people say it was just sexual misconduct. He, he was charged with rape, pled down to sexual misconduct. Harvey Weinstein the other day, yes, as a cop, uh, Harvey Weinstein the other day got convicted of sexual misconduct. And everybody is like, yeah, the guy's a real scumbag and they won't do business with him. But why is it okay to do that with this dude? Um People need to think about it. They need to get some integrity. They need to stand for something. N- having a sex offender, a convicted sex offender in this industry is has got to stop. People are like, oh, but it, the conferences and the, the instruction are good. So what? I wanted to go to Vegas. Go to Vegas then. You know what I mean? Just go. It's open 365 days a year. You don't have to go support and give money to a sex offender. Uh, Anyways, (laughs) I think I'm about done ranting on that dude. Um, (laughs) You know, whatever. So so with us today is a a friend of both of ours. Some folks that listen to it have met our guest and know him. Most of you do not. Um, However, uh, those of us who are in the canine world uh, really like him. Uh, So without further ado, we'll bring on our... World level Mondio Ring competitor and decoy, retired, I should say now, due to the fact that he's brittle. Uh, our friend Jake Scott. Jake, how are you? I'm good. Like I told you guys before, crippled, incarcerated <laughs> in my house, but I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> that's, Voluntary that's house good. arrest. <laughs> so I'll give you a little bit of background. Yeah. Right. I'll give you a little bit of background on how I know Jake um, and, and kind of how our relationship has gone. Um, and then Ted will bring up something that I didn't know that is shocking and uh, not shocking, but it's pretty, pretty interesting. He'll, he'll bring it up here in a minute. Um, so I, I don't even remember how it came to be. Jake, Jake is about an hour north of where, where I'm at when I was at the police department, you know, running the police canine association training and everything. Um, he gets a hold of us. Uh, I don't even remember how and uh, wants to come down and decoy. And like I said before, I'm not one to, uh, shun uh, unlike a lot of other police groups i'm not one to shun a civilian decoy if they come down and they're talented um so he came down and we were he went to do some decoy work and it's um we'll get into it uh, a little bit more but meeting jake can be a little shocking um he uh he he's funny because he's he's jewish but he looks like a uh white supremacist skinhead (laughs) (laughs) 
for lack of a better term, just through tattoos. So, but I have a lot of tattoos, so I don't judge. Um, and uh, so he comes down. He brings a van full of dogs and bite suit gear and everything like that. Um, and I think the first day that we had Jake there, we, we, we were at this old school that we use, and we were doing some some stuff. And he, he'd been doing mostly sport, a little bit of police dog stuff here and there. And he was trying out some new suits, different suit tops, comp and semi-comp. And he threw on a comp top. And he's like, you guys get some real hard biters? I'm like, yeah, you know, they're okay. You know, kind of did that move with him. And we put him in this closet behind a big, giant like gymnastics mat so the dog had to climb up over the mats those of you who follow me have probably seen that that scenario in some videos so we threw him in the back and i i think i sent vlad on him who's arguably one of the hardest biting dogs you'll ever catch and uh vlad goes up and and you can't see jake because he's back in this closet but you hear him go yeah this was a bad choice uh, on the suit top that I that I picked, but and he's I like, made Holy it crap. three more dogs. <laughs> you did. He did a few more dogs. He goes, "Hey, uh, can I go switch out? <laughs> can I go switch out tops?" And but but the funny thing was, he goes and switches tops, and that was um, one of those days we had fourteen or fifteen dogs. He took every single dog, no break, no three dogs switch out, all fourteen of them. And that, that ended up being kind of the way our relationship as far as that went. We did training somewhere, and we, we Jake's not a giant person, so we stuffed him into a hollowed-out tree where these guys had to do a track to find him. And um, it was the scenario was a runoff from a, um, from a traffic stop, armed robbery traffic stop. And the guy goes running off, and then you get the passenger, and then you track, track the guy and bite him. And he did, again, 14, 15 dogs in that hollowed-out tree. And... Uh, and Jake can attest to you, you know, I, almost every single dog in that group I trained, and I train hard biting dogs. And, um, but he, so he did that for us for, right, for years and years, several years. He's been a friend of ours doing that for us, coming down. Um, but, and then Jake and I have, because um, he knows a lot of people in the Mondio ring, and, and we'll get into this a little bit about, when people decide to uh, move on from a dog in Mondi Ring. And anyways, he he found me two dogs that were, for whatever reasons, their their owners were wanting to sell them. Um, one of I bought both of them amazing police dogs. These these dogs turn out to be amazing. One of them's up in Michigan, just wrecking fools, and the other one's down in Aruba. Um, so, uh, anyways, we'll get into we'll get into uh, Jake's background here and. Um, enough talking from me so jake uh why don't you give us a little bit of your history kind of the cliff notes and talk about like what got you into dogs and then we'll go from there all right cool uh cliff notes of it i've been involved in dog sports monitoring specifically since 2014 and like i was telling you guys before we started recording rolling here i've always been interested in dogs my entire life and I was always interested in working dogs ever since I was a little kid, specifically because my grandfather that inspired a lot of what I've done in life. During World War II, he served in the U.S. Army. And while he didn't have anything to do in the military directly with canines, through the Dogs for Defense program, which was a program that was established to allow civilians to donate dogs to the war cause and war efforts, he provided his two personal German Shepherds to the U.S. Army when he himself went off and enlisted as well. 
And so seeing pictures of those dogs, hearing stories about him raising those dogs up until his enlistment, and then just him talking about how serving the U.S. Army was the most significant thing he did in his life, that kind of set the path for me. And I actually went a few different directions. Um, you'll never believe this in a million years, but I was a professional tattoo artist. You'll never believe it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that may or may not have led to tattoos all over my head and face and whatever. But that did lead me in a few different paths at the time. And uh, I eventually found my way to my original kind of path and calling. And I got to serve in the Israeli military. I did absolutely nothing with dogs there. That was something that I'd been interested in doing when I chose to enlist in Israel. But the path to go the direction to work with dogs, um, it, it is a big gamble. You have to voluntarily choose to be assigned to the worst infantry brigade in all of the IDF to then cross your fingers and try and select for K-9. And should you fail, you now serve in the worst infantry brigade in all the IDF. So I made a choice not <laughs> to roll that dice. Damn. And uh, like I said, I did absolutely nothing with dogs while I was in the army. But when I came home, I did not return to tattooing and I decided it was time to get down to the dogs. And that's kind of what led me into things. And so I had to find a way to work with the dogs, which I wanted to work with. I started working for a training company that was establishing a detection program. I ended up in a position of like a supervisor or management role trying to lead that program. And that's actually when I first met Eric. I don't know if Eric remembers that. Um, but I had a few dogs for sale and they were single purpose narcotics dogs. And that was the first time we actually interacted. And uh, I left that company. I established a business that I own now. But from that point on, I was just 100% immersed in doing what I could on the working dog side of things through sport and through police canine. So that's kind of the quick rundown of my background and what led me to here. Yeah. I want to say this now too. everybody that knows me <clears throat> or doesn't, <clears throat> but everybody that knows me or follows me, um, kind of knows my first kind of thing before dogs was music, right. And endurance sports, um, specifically, um, certain types of metal, but you actually were in a very a semi-famous band for a while called salt the wound, uh, to like yeah. what, like 2015 or something. So, um, so I'm still in it. Uh, <laughs> my last album came out in 2011. I don't really talk about much, but it was a big deal to me this year because my entire discography of the three full-length albums we did uh, got re-added to Spotify and other streaming sources after yeah. a bit of a legal issue that had pulled those things. So this year I did post a bit about it because that's something that, again, in another life, I really went all in and off the deep end and passionate about. And uh, I did not know at first that you had that inclination. And then also <laughs> another side thing that I'm really big on is road cycling. And so right. I was talking to Eric about bikes and he's like, yeah, Ted loves that shit. So it's yeah. <laughs> actually how I got to Europe the first time. Uh, so yeah. Um, so if you're listening to this iTunes and Spotify, you can go see it. You can go find it. Salt the wound. <laughs> if you like that kind of music. So, Anyway, <laughs> we can move forward. Uh, I just wanted to mention that because I, I was like, man, when I first started, when I was friends with you, I was like, fuck, is this the same guy? I was like, shit, surely not. And it turns out I was wrong. 
Um, <laughs> so um, back in, so like we've had Jason Davis on for French Ring. We've had several PSA people on. Um, I'm a PSA uh, senior level decoy. Uh, so a lot of people don't know that there is um, three different ring sports. Um, and you're deeply involved in Mondial Ring, um, like uh, Davis. Jason Davis is deeply involved in French Ring. Uh, yep. So, for those listening that may not, may or may not know a ton about the differences or what each sport is, go ahead and start kind of giving us a background on Mondial Ring before we move into the competition and the decoy side of it. Okay, so Mondial Ring is the only internationally recognized ring sport under FCI, the big umbrella of dog sports, dog breed clubs, National Kennel Associations, all that. It is a sport that is biting on the suit, but then it also has obedience and jumps. And ideally, the intention is to combine elements from the Belgian ring program, from the French ring program, KNPV, I don't think you see it much, the, the influence, but it's allegedly there, and Schutzen. And so the idea was to create an internationally competed in sanctioned sport that borrowed from those other sports. So right. you do have the three phases, the obedience, the jumps, and protection, and then you will see some borrowed elements from all those sports in it. And that's kind of the skinny on the sport itself, that you know, a lot of people that have seen French ring might see a lot of commonalities, but then one of the big differences is monitoring tests generalization across the board. So. The trials to some people look a little bit like circuses because they have themes and you have props and decorations and things. But, you know, when we have in the obedience and a retrieve exercise where they retrieve an object that's thrown in French ring, it is always an object that you bring with you. And it can be a rolled sock, an eyeglasses case, a knotted handkerchief, whatever. In monitoring, you don't know what that item is until you show up. It might be a wet sponge that they hand you in a bucket or it might be a two by four. And one of your previous guests, Dave Croyer, did that to me last summer. I was competing in level three and he was a judge and he decided the retrieve item would be a four foot long piece of a two by four. And you just don't know <laughs> what you're showing up to. So the idea behind it is that monitoring and the obedience and then the program at large is testing generalization, but then the role of the decoy is different in these various sports. Right. Monitoring the decoy does test and impose the dog but the dog is also being tested by environmental stressors and challenges that are on the field. So that's kind of the skinny of the sport itself. And the idea again, behind monitoring and being an FCI recognized sport is to have an international platform. So it's competed in, in many countries, there's an annual world level championship and uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's fairly, um, <clears throat> like general, like you said, it's about generalization. But then, one thing that I have kind of gathered from dealing with a lot of those people, you know, Brad Harden lives here in Oklahoma. I know I've known Brad for a while. Um, <clears throat> and you know, one of the things that I see a lot is that it's very consistent in terms of the decoys for whatever level you guys are at. Like that decoy, wherever they're from, generally is pretty straightforward in terms of. They have the same skill set. They have the same ability. The judging is goes is pretty level in terms of um, how it's seen and how it's competed in. So, um, in terms of that, I think is probably one of the larger sports um, in the world. In the U.S., it's fairly still kind of pocketed. 
um, in yeah. terms of, and, and there's various reasons for that. I think it's even more pocketed than French ring. Um, PSA is kind of widely known as the largest suit sport in the country, but, um, yeah. So on the competition side, that's another thing too. So when you look at KMPV, you look at IPO, um, those sports, um, and the KMPV program in general, and I'm, if you're listening to this in Holland, this is not a knock against KMPV. So nobody freak out. Um, they're generally designed to raise those dogs to then push off into a program, uh, a police program. Whereas NVBK, French Ring, Mondia Ring, PSA, I mean, shit, by the time those dogs get there, whatever, if you're going to get a three on those dogs, there's some of them are five and six years old. I mean, most of those dogs, and especially in NVBK, I mean, those dogs will, I mean, uh, when we, you know, yours tells me that there's dogs that have titled like 24 times in the threes in MBBK and they're, you know, 12 years old and those dogs never get sold to police departments. So, um, is that kind of a byproduct of the program, the way that Mondial ring is run, or is it just kind of like a byproduct of the sport more than anything? Well, so I mean, Mondial ring is a sport versus a certification. I don't have a lot of deep understanding on KMPV, but I do understand it, that it's not something that someone's trying to go out and knock out you know, 20 times over, they're trying to do the program and certify the dog. Mondioring is truly sport. People are trying to go out there, compete, fill their scorebooks. And uh, people do keep the dog generally for a long working career. I titled two dogs this year to ring three. And one of them six, one of them's four. Um, The one that's six, I trialed 30 times, harder dog to work with for various reasons. And then the other dog I've shown five times and I've gotten them up to level three and the program itself is long. And I think that's part of what has hindered its growth. Uh, The U S monitoring association, which is the governing body of the sport in the U S was established 20 years ago in 2000. And I think it's a hard sell to people to say, Hey, you need to buy a dog that may or may not work out, train it for a minimum of two years. And then you can try the lowest entry level. And I think, I mean, French ring has a similar path. I know PSA does as well. Um, It's just one of those things that regardless, it's a hard sell to someone getting into dog sports, but you do see people then once they've reached those high levels competing a ton, the sire of one of my dogs, he's competed at and qualified at Mondi ring three, 20 plus times. And I don't think you see that a ton in a lot of other sports. But then when you also look at the international concept and having a world championship, some of these other countries, their qualification process to qualify for that world team each year, you may have to show your dog 10 times. So people in general in monitoring, I feel like are competing a lot more, a lot. Yeah, so, no, I, that's the thing. I you know, like you know, if that kind of answers your question a little bit, it, oh, it, yeah. it's definitely true to being a game, right? Uh, so that kind of leads into the next thing. Um, and Eric and I have talked about it a little bit. Um, and one of the things that I would love to do um, is to not have to rely on somebody else to supply green dogs to the United States. Um, and there are some great vendors that do a great job in the U S. Um, unfortunately they're not producing enough dogs, enough good dogs. Um, there, well, I should just say there aren't enough good dogs produced in the United States that have the foundation of the genetics of health and 
drive quality that we need. Now, a lot of those come from Mondia rings, French ring, PSA, um, IPO, come from sport backgrounds. In fact, when we had Kevin on uh, from New Mexico, uh, he's a, you know, a very decorated police officer in Albuquerque. Canine handler, fantastic dog trainer, um, and fantastic um, sport trainer. And a lot of his patrol dogs came out of his IPO club. And he says it flat out. He was like, oh, that's the easiest way to do it. They're raised in a house. They are... Um, you know, raised with a family. So there's, you know, they're social in terms of being a working dog. And then, you know, everything is there in terms of everything else, the foundation, everything else. And that's one thing that Eric and I routinely see with green dogs from um, not here, that the foundation can vary very widely. And um, so Eric, you know, you mentioned that Eric, you got dogs from him. And so I guess kind of talk about the foundation work that was done that helped with the police side. Yeah, so uh, basically, and I'll have Jake talk about real quick. Like, so I, I think I think the one of the things that we see in sport a lot is um, a, a somebody who's in it because they really they want to do it. Um, they want to, you know, they want to get their one twos and threes. So we'll just use Mondial Ring. They want to get their up to their threes and then keep competing. And then you have those who want to podium and nothing less. Um, so the dogs that they may look to offload uh, are really amazing dogs, but they have a couple little things about them that that get points deducted on a pretty consistent basis and, um, and may or may not hit the podium. So I think that's probably the situation we were in when I, when I got into um, the dogs with the two dogs that I got from Jake that he, that he set up, and um, so, Jake, talk about talk about uh, some things that would would lead a dog like the I, the dog I had got from you, Envy and Notorious. Couple little things about those dogs as an example of reasons why they would have been sold. Well, so like you said, there's some people that want to earn the title, and that's all they want. And then there's other people that want to win stuff. And I've had to explain this to I feel like kind of a lot of people that I meet that are either just getting into the sport or don't know much about the sports and they get really impressed by IPO one, IPO two, IPO three, or Bondi ring one, two, three, or whatever behind a dog's name. There is a huge span of points that earns that same title. So my retired dog that put a three on this year, he earned a three sixteen point five at ring three, 300 passing out of 400 points. My other dog, Earned a 389. It's the third highest score ever in this country at that level. They both have the same title in their book. They're such different dogs. Their skill sets are so far apart. And the older dog, they retired tie. I played monitoring with a ton. And he has more qualifying scores than not by 0.5 points, by one point, like just skating through it. And that was a dog that I just wanted to play the game with. And when you start getting more involved and you meet people that kind of started with a dog of the same mentality where, Hey, I just want to see where this goes. And then they say, Hey, I really like this. I want to be competitive. You end up with these people that put the time and work into a dog and say, this isn't going to work for the level I want to compete at. So that might be due to like an athletic thing, a dog that can't jump max consistently on the jumps and you're going to be leaving points on the field every time. It might be a dog that has some 
environmental stuff and the variability and generalization of monitoring just isn't a good fit. Or sometimes you end up with some dogs that have some kind of other issue. Uh, so Envy is a really good example where that was a dog that competed at a national championship in level two, um, had some really nice scores in its book, and he really wants to hurt you. And in a sport <laughs> where our outs for full points, your dog must out within two seconds of that command. One 1,002, and you are now slow to out. A dog that has that kind of undertone to it, he made the title. He made the field at a national championship. He's not going to be standing on the podium. It's just not going to happen. Like the cards are stacked against him. At level two in Monduring, there's five biting exercises. And one of them, the search and escort, has a minimum of three and a maximum of five bites within it. So you're looking at asking your dog to out a whole grip of time through that program. And if your dog is losing points every single out, you're just, you're already playing half losing. You know, it's interesting. I got a so dog from. Those dog are some of the dogs that I've seen. Yeah. I got a dog from uh, a dude up near Eric um, that trains. Nope. I got a dog from a dude up near Eric that uh, actually trains as one of the Ohio State troopers. He's not a canine handler for them. He's just, uh, he does IPO. And um, <clears throat> Eric hooked me up with this guy and we went up to pick this dog up and I'm like, well, what's wrong with him? And he's like, oh, he's too hard for IPO. And I thought, what the, f- what the fuck does that mean? You know, and I was like, whatever. And sure as shit. And this guy competes on the uh, Polish national team, even though he lives in Ohio. Um, he competes on the Polish national team for IPO and uh, or whatever it's called now. And I know exactly what it meant because the dog was clean in terms of like, you know, his obedience was great and everything else. But he did not like outing and it was a sticky out. And there was some other things like if he got defensive, he would try and fucking kill people. And which is great for patrol dogs. I don't mind about that. But like if he got slightly defensive, he would redirect on a, on, a, on the decoy. Um, he would never redirect on the handler. Uh, despite what I kind of saw one time, but he is a, he's just one of those dogs. One of the nastiest patrol dogs we ever got came to us with an IPO one, but it took him three times to get it. And when I found yeah. out, I was like, why did that happen? Well, come to find out, he tried to kill the judge during tracking and during obedience, both the first well, two times. Happened. And they were like, and you know, it was a beautiful dog. I understand why they wanted to title him, but he was just a, not that what he wasn't about that life. He, <laughs> and he went on to have a very, very successful career in a shithole. And, uh, that's, he was just one of those dogs. So I like, I get it. So if you're listening to this and you're a unit trainer, right. And you're looking for green dogs and, you know, Eric and I are constantly crying about like, we don't have good dogs from, you know, wherever go look at these clubs. And, you know, one of my vendors in Holland, that's what they do is they'll go to a, um, or not Holland in Belgium. Um, they'll go to a club and be like, whose dog is everybody hate. And there's that one guy that everybody's like, that guy's dog's an asshole and nobody likes him. And the handler's like, oh, thank God. I thought nobody would want this dog. And they'll sell him because, <laughs> like you said, I mean, same thing with um, uh, uh, NVBK dogs. Um, you know, when we start talking about judging grips in PSA, it's worth five points. It's not even judged in French ring. Uh, it's minimal points in Mondio. Um, IPO, it's judged, but it's not a huge thing. And NVBK, it is 25 points. And, you know, you talk to guys like yours to compete in MVBK. And if a dog has a quote unquote 23 point grip, they don't want it. But that grip looks insane for the rest of the world. And they'll sell those dogs tomorrow. No problem. They're like, yeah, he's only got a 23 point grip. Can't have him. You're like, okay. 
<laughs> so, I mean, on that same point, I brought that dog Envy out to demo for Eric and I brought the handler with, and, uh, there was another handler from, I don't know what city that trains with the PK9A boys. And he was just hanging out and the handler is like, so, so what do you want to see? And Eric was like, just do your thing. And so she starts taking off all his collars, take a Z collar off his prong cut. And this other guy was like, what the fuck is this girl doing? And I was like, well, we don't compete with anything on the dog. Like they're naked. And it like blew his brain that this girl is going to do bite work to demo this dog for sale, going to do obedience and whatever else Eric asked naked, no collars, no nothing. And, uh, you know, that's one of those dogs where I don't feel like we run into like too much dog, so to speak for the sport, but Every time that girl walked on the field with that dog, she was starting with 30 points down, period. Just because we knew every single out was going to be slow. And it wasn't going to be insanely slow, but two or three seconds slow to out every single bite. At the level they competed at, you only have 60 points to lose between pass fail. And if you're already walking out with 50% of those gone, it's just not going to fit that role for that handler that wanted to compete at that high level. So... That's where, you know, we run yeah, into that. Yeah, but for me, the dog. That's, yeah. I think in USPCA, they get 45 I mean, seconds. He, <laughs> yeah. Right. The thing about it, though, was what was great for me um, was, you know, that dog and the other dog, Notorious, that I got uh, through the same kind of thing. They came with, like, world-level obedience. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, in leg Fun. bites. Like, hard, badass leg bites. I think, I think. Notorious's thing was barking. Um, uh, talk real quick, uh, Jake, because I don't know the terminology about. So, so like you just heard him say, the dog has no collars on. You do one thing, and then you have to transition and walk across the field to do another thing. Correct. So, how it works? Like, dog has to walk into heel or something like that. You do obedience. Yeah, you do your obedience, then your jumps, then your protection. It's all in one go. So you walk out on the field. You hand the deputy judge your leash, and now you're doing the program. It is not like IPO where you go and do your obedience. You do your tracking separately. You do your protection separately. These are all in one go. The order of the exercises in all three of those phases is randomly drawn for that day. So you're going to do your obedience exercises in some unknown order and in unknown locations on the field. Every single trial field is different. So you may have to walk 40 meters from exercise one, to exercise two, or you might do the same exercises off of the same line. Uh, Dave Croyer's done that a couple times in trials, and it was super hard for people where he did three exercises on the same start point in a row. And dogs are like, what the hell is going on? Because people work so mm-hmm. hard on the control to get them around the field. So he took that away. He said, well, sure, here, just do it all right here. And so the obedience on the dogs, you need the actual structured exercise is what's scored, but then you also need the level of control with no collars on to move that dog around the field because you can have an amazing retrieve or healing or whatever, or your jumps, but you can't get there to go do it. It doesn't matter. So you have a lot of work into just being able to move that dog around. And so both Notorious and Envy really did excellent in the obedience. And I think that was one of the big things that we talked about was that these were dogs that simply needed to be shown some pictures, but as far as the obedience and the bite work, like they did it all. They just didn't know about biting hidden equipment or whatever it may be, you know, scenario based stuff. And 
when I dropped off Notorious to you, he bit me, live bit me in the legs. We did <laughs> mm-hmm. a few weeks, yeah, a few weeks up until I brought him out. I did some hidden sleeve stuff and civil work with him. And the last stuff we've been doing is I bought this Sainov hidden leg sleeve that I liked to use. And so Eric had from ALM a leg sleeve up at his place. And, you know, part of just kind of demoing the dog a bit, we grabbed that sleeve out and had him on there. And then demos over, whatever. We're all standing, me, my girlfriend, Eric, and I'm just standing wearing jeans and Notorious nukes my leg. And I out him <laughs> off me and he's just like, fuck, yeah, I do this now. And that was kind of the thing with like some of these dogs, when you like raise that veil that it's no longer in that structure, you start seeing some new things come up. And I feel like those couple weeks of introducing them to that kind of stuff actually was super building to the dog because I don't feel like control necessarily crushes them, but everything becomes really compartmentalized. Like we do what we do on the field. And when he realized we do what we do now everywhere, it was like a different dog. Oh yeah. I was like, yeah, your dog sucks. Put him in the truck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, so something, two things that we have learned in the last 10 minutes is, uh, and his dog, Ty, is uh, – Jake's dog, Ty, is an uh, example. C's get degrees, right? So we learned that. You can Hell still yeah. get a title even though you're barely making it. C's get degrees. And Dave Croyer is a dick. That's the other thing we learned. <laughs> oh, yeah. When, when Dave comes so, out to judge, you're like, fuck. <laughs> he does some of the, like, worst shit to you in the spirit of the sport. So, like, that two-by-four retrieve. This is a sport about generalization. You should have trained these things. So in the true spirit of the sport, he will totally, totally ruin your day. But uh, he's a good dude. He's a good dude. And then not to mention, too, so you're talking about where dogs come from. Ty is from one of the most esteemed American kennels that produces the most dogs annually that very few people look for, police canines. Craigslist Kennels. Craigslist Kennels yeah. is putting out Ring Three Dogs and Belgian Malinois. <laughs> we didn't know that. Uh. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a break real quick, and right. we come back. Uh, we will talk more about the crossover and talk about the uh, more of the dog sport stuff. So, everybody, we'll be back in just a second. All right, guys, Scottsdale, Arizona, 2020 hits. Uh, first of all, congratulations to Jeff Barrett, one of the owners of Hits, uh, for his retirement. Jeff's oh, yeah. a good dude. Um, Ted and I are going to be instructing there this year. It's the best conference out there, period. It's yep. the biggest and the best. Um, it's in Scottsdale. never been there. Can't wait. You know, it's in the desert, and the hotel has a wave pool. So, guys, we can go surf. All you dudes can be out there, you know, with your dad bods and all that stuff, um, hanging out. Ted... Here, when and where? Can. What are we doing? <laughs> Scottsdale, Arizona, <laughs> uh, August 18th to the 21st, 2020. Uh, yeah, everybody can bring their night their their night shift tan out and surf in the middle of the desert. <laughs> it's uh, hits <laughs> canine letter K number nine dot net. Get signed up. I think about six weeks before uh, tickets go up, or so. Be sure to. Uh, Head on over. And if you were part of a Patreon member of ours, we gave away a free uh, pass this year, too. So also pays to be a Patreon member because you could go for free. Well, at least the the, the uh, ticket price would be free. So, yeah. Uh, one of our other sponsors that we're really stoked about and has been with us for a long time is Ray Allen. 
Raylan has been around forever. And it's not just for police dogs. It's for working dogs, pets, uh, bird dogs, gun dogs, and, of course, police dogs and sport dogs. But they have everything from leashes and handler equipment to uh, we actually do the muzzles for them, the uh, Ramtech muzzles here, uh, the working dog dry good ones there. So, yeah, those are uh, fantastic. If you use the discount code working dog radio, uh, you'll get 10% off, um, and it's rayallen.com. Head on over, hit them up, order something. I'm a knee collar guy, right? I train all my dogs on knee collars, and I use, for all my working dogs, man, it's Dogtra. That's all it is, Dogtra. Uh, the, I, I maintain over and over the 1900S is the best collar on the market for police dogs. 1900S by Dogtra. It can, you can get a Molly attachment for your vest for the uh, controller, and uh, I, I love the 1900S. Ted, talk about the ball popper that you love. Oh, yeah, the ball popper and the ball popper pro. It's a popper and a dropper. You can tie multiple of them together, I think eight at a time, and it'll launch a tennis ball about waist height, and then you can load up to three to drop them. And I hide them. I actually modify them and put magnets all over them and stick them under cars, under our bus, and all kinds of stuff. We'll put them inside cars to launch tennis balls out when we're training dogs. Batteries are rechargeable on the pro, and it's got a little bit uh, shorter response time on the remote, so you get a better response from the dog and the window is much shorter in terms of the reaction from the unit but yeah i love that thing uh we gave away some of those also during our patreon giveaway uh christmas last year so and the year before that so there's some people out there that have gotten that love them so i like i like them a lot for sure yeah we have a discount code if you check them out go to dogtra.com discount code wdr10 for 10 percent off a single item over 200 dollars. dogtra.com yeah, you know, one of the sponsors has been with us since the beginning is Highland Canine out in North Carolina. It's the Pergasons, Jason and Aaron. Love those guys. Jason's actually been on the podcast before. He's an instructor at a lot of the conferences we go to. Fantastic trainer. Uh, they run a school there that accepts a VA, and they've got customers from all over the country and all over the world. Uh, they've developed programs for um, African nations, and uh, have had lots of dogs come through. Uh, they do green dogs. They do seminars. They do top-to-bottom police dogs with handler schools included. Uh, and because of that, they've got on-site living accommodations for handlers during handler schools. So top-to-bottom, front-to-back, Beginning to end, they got you covered. Head over to tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. That's letter K number nine. And check out everything they've got going on in the seminars coming up. We actually gave away a $500 gift certificate during uh, our Christmas giveaway in 2019. So, yeah, be sure to head over. Tacticalpolicecanine, letter K number nine, training.com. So one of the best things that we ever have gotten on this podcast is our relationship with VetCare and their product, Quick Derm. We make no... Secret about it, I tell everybody. Um, they're like, yeah, my dog's got this going on, this, this injury, got cut here, do that. I'm like, get Quick Derm by VetCare. It's, it's like magic elixir. It really is. It's crazy how good it works and how fast. It is as advertised. It's one of my uh, favorite relationships that we have. Quick Derm by VetCare. Um, Ted, I know you use it on yourself, I think. Yeah, I got nuked by a dog last year and had to get some stitches, but it definitely helped clean it up. Uh, in fact, you have a buddy that's up close to you that owns a uh, pet business that had a dog come in that he used it on to keep this dog. The, the problem from getting worse that the owner didn't realize had that had the dog had when he got dropped off, uh, which is kind of what this stuff's about. It prevents little things from becoming big problems. So, you know, dogs cut themselves, especially working dogs. You know, stuff gets stuck in their paw. Happy tails, another common one. Um, they get their muzzles all torn up and stuff from dealing with uh, crates and kennels. It's super easy to apply. Works really well. 
you only have to do it once a day is not like rocket science. So yeah, head over to vetcare.us and use the discount code 10WDR for a 10% off discount off your first order. Speaking of easy, that's why I like vetcare. But also easy is Horizon Structures. We get information uh, passed to us all the time and questions passed to us all the time about, oh, what's the best kennel to use? Do you use this? Do you use you know, these pre-made panels, whatever else? If you're going to invest the money to create a commercial, whether it's the police side or whatever, invest the money in Horizon Structures. It's literally like plug and play. So you have the pad set up, you tie it into sewer and water. They show up with a flatbed truck, they drop that sucker off and it's plugged in. You can put dogs in it an hour after they leave. It's fantastic. Eric, what do you think of those things? I, I tell you this. I remember you built that uh, that one kennel oh, yeah. that you had. I guarantee there, yeah. you, if you knew the Horizon Structures was available, you'd have just done that. It's I can't, um, I'm looking everywhere for a kennel, and there's just never, anything's not perfect. You know, it's just not working out for me. So I'm trying to find a, a good spot where I can get Horizon Structures. I've been on their website, horizonstructures.com, went through everything, looked at their tutorials, looked at their videos, Um Dude, it's you drop it, put dogs in it. So how simple is that? It's amazing. They have financing available, everything, horizonstructures.com. Yeah, and it's custom. You can literally do yes. whatever you want, like from insane, from mild to wild, insane to normal. I mean, anything you want. But yeah, horizonstructures.com. Hit them up. All right, guys, we are back from commercial break. If you listen to this on Patreon, uh, as a Patreon member, of course, you're not getting commercials. Down below, though, is um, the discount codes and all of our sponsors. Those of you who are listening to this on the 3rd of March or right after that when this comes out, um, and if you fast-forwarded through the commercials, go back, take a second, listen, support our sponsors. We love our sponsors. There's great discount codes in there, great stuff. No sex offenders, no shady fucking people, just Cheater. good uh Yep, just good products that we believe in that we use. So um, we're here with our buddy Jake Scott we're talking uh, Mondio Ring. Um, we're going to switch over real quick from the competitor side to the decoy side of the house. Um, uh, those of you who do follow Jake remember when he was preparing to um, become, I think it, I think you started posting it when you were doing the level two decoy and then the level three, uh, the workouts that you had to do in preparation for it, this is not just throw a suit on a guy and get him to try to miss. Um, so let, we'll talk, we're going to talk about, about um, decoying a Mondio ring, becoming a decoy, and then switching over from that to police decoy and, and what are some of the big differences. So let's, let's start with, uh, did you start competing first or did you start decoying first? So I started handling a dog first and like I did with everything else in my life, I like jumped off a cliff. And so I was driving from Ohio to Pennsylvania four or five days a week to go train with my mentor, Todd Dunlap. And I really came to realize I was the user of good fortune. I was so fortunate to have a good decoy near me and I was just there every single day, but I wasn't contributing to our club. And I was like, I need to buy a suit. I need to become a balanced, you know, member of this club. And I want to learn about everything in the sport. So probably the first like year or so I just handled. And then I finally bought a pair of pants. Todd Hayes, the hell out of me. Um, he has a dog that no one ever really has seen that is still in my like top three hardest biting dogs ever. 
and he saw fit to have that be the dog that he really instructed me on. So from that kind of first pair of pants and interaction, having my life ruined by this dog named Hilo, then I kind of put handling on the back burner. I still trained Ty and handled him for the last you know six years, but I really turned my focus on to the decoying because that was something that I became like really interested in because I was able to contribute to our club as a whole. We have a group of incredible handlers and dogs and then I just liked the challenge of it. So that you, um, it, it, there's, you got to qualify, I guess would be the term to become a decoy at each level. Like you can't be a decoy and then, Hey, I'll, I'll work a, I'll work a three competition this week. So there's three levels of certification and each level is permitted to work all levels of dogs. There's some little rules on that. A brand new certified level one dog, or sorry, level one decoy can't work a trial with another level one decoy that hasn't worked at least a minimum number of trials. Like you can't just have two brand new certified guys run an event. But so each level of decoying, you're expected to have a higher level of skill, be able to test the dogs, at a higher level and be able to present kind of more opposition within the direction of the judge and the rules of the sport. So you're expected to be more skilled at that point. And so in the United States, our national organization certifies you at levels one and two. And then the level three certification is a international certification that is earned at the international decoy selection annually at the world championship. So I earned my level three certification in Moscow, Russia in 2018. I finished ninth place with a TB, très bon, very good rating at the International Decoy Super Selection. I'm going to get picked part of that. Super Selection is French ring, International Decoy Selection is monitoring. Um, some people kind of mix match the wording, but it's the International Decoy Selection. But so that's the process. And in that certification, there's a written test there's a physical test and then there's a practical, the actual work, working the dogs. And each country sets their own lower level standards for their level one and two decoys, but that international decoy super selection, international decoy selection, that is the highest level of certification for the sport. So what's your job as a decoy in each level? So the jobs of the decoys do not change from certification level, but in the sport of monitoring, each level of competition has more exercises or increased difficulty in exercises. Um, there are three biting exercises at level one, there's five at level two, and there's seven at level three. And so the decoy has to be able to oppose the dog consistently from dog to dog, and then also scale that work. There is a flea attack in all three levels where the decoy is running and then once bit opposes the dog and you have to be able to scale your opposition from level one to two to three. And it's the same in French ring. You have to be able to escalate that work from the lower levels up to the high levels. And so again, the different levels of certification of decoys comes down to experience. You have to have so many trials at level one to be eligible to attempt the level two certification. And then at level two, there's a list of qualifications that you have to meet to then be able to attend international selection. 
So ideally, as you're going through those levels of certification, you are building skill, building abilities, and are thought to be both, I guess, sportive um, in testing the dog, but also safe. So you're looking at someone that has more experience downfield from the dogs. And, and Mondial Ring is primarily legs. Is that right? So you're going to see mostly legs, but the dogs can bite anywhere on the suit and grips are not judged. So a bite's a bite. One tooth or a full grip, they still got you. Changes of grips are point deductions. Um, dogs that come off a bite early are point deductions. Dogs that come off and dirty bite and tag again, bite, 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 you know, before recall, things like that. But so you do see a lot of legs, but as you go up in the levels, you're going to see people putting dogs up a bit more. Some of the exercises are going to present those pictures better. There are two different attacks where the dog is facing the decoy. You have the face attack over obstacle where the dog has to jump an obstacle and then bite. And then you have a face attack with accessories. And those accessories can be streamers, bottles, all kinds of different creative things. And depending how that decoy chooses to use those to oppose that dog, he may be exposing arms, legs, chest, whatever. And so when you get into level two and three where those exercises are, you'll see dogs going up more often or being opportunistic at least about targets. Your job or your the way you view it as a decoy is um so the dog's coming at you they're full speed your job is to get them to miss is that correct so each bite is a 10 second bite my job is to steal your points on behalf of the judge every second that your dog is not biting me they are losing points so my goal is to try and depending on what the exercise is use a clatter stick to hold that dog off push them, make them miss, use those accessories to block or impede that dog. And the accessories used in Mondia Ring have to be something that is penetrable by the dog that they can go through. It's not a fend off. It's not some solid object that they have to figure out how to go around. Mm -hmm. So again, that's where some of like the environmental test aspect comes into. You'll get some dogs that balk at the accessory, even if, you know, they could have just gone straight through it. And that's where you're starting to divide that field. You know, you take a bunch of points from a dog who refused to enter a set of streamers versus the dog that came in and while they're biting you, has a mouthful of streamers and your entire kneecap. So that's when like the test aspect kind of really shines because you see the difference between those dogs. So my goal is to try and take those points. I can take them on the front end, holding your dog out, and I can take them on the back end, making your dog slow to out by really putting a lot of pressure on that dog and really turning it into a fight. So, you know, in short, I'm trying to take those points and in each different exercise, there's a little bit of a different parameter on how to do it. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, um, at the world level, like prepping for a three, uh, decoy selection process, um, you know, one of the things that uh, we talk about a lot, especially like if you go through a decoy camp with like, um, Sean Siggins or any of the PSA stuff like the, I think a lot of people are kind of shocked by, um, the amount of physical fitness that is required. Um, I, I had a leg up. I spent 20 years as an endurance athlete. So 
I'm one of those guys that has like the fucking energizer bunny. I can go for days. Um, but talk a little bit about the physical preparation for, and the physical, just the physical requirements. I mean, you were doing like a 5k run in the fucking suit or something crazy in Russia. I was, I saw something on Instagram. I was like, Oh God, I bet that sucks. <laughs> so the physical side of it is inevitably you're certifying to be a trial decoy. And so you need to be physically able to do all these exercises in the suit, dog after dog after dog, the same. You can't be getting gassed on, you know, dog four, five, six, whatever it may be, and be easier. You need to have the same level of opposition from the first dog to the last. And I got to decoy the U.S. Monitoring National Championship last year in San Diego. It was like 90 degrees. My competition bite suit is solid black. And, you know, you're out there cooking. And we had almost 30 dogs to work. So the physical aspect of it's really big. And that work gets split between two or three decoys through the day. But when they're trying to judge those dogs through that, a ring three program is 45, 50 minutes long. They want that next dog on deck to get on that field immediately. And the decoys better be ready to go. So the physical stuff is huge. And so when it comes down to certification, they're trying to represent the best they can, some of that physical stress. It's not the same as working a trial, but they're, they're doing what they can. So the certification for international selection is a 2K run, and then it is a slalom in the suit. Doesn't sound like a ton, um, but it really kind of is when then the next thing you're doing is jumping on the field, you're doing all seven biting exercises solo back to back to back to back. And then having to, again, maintain that energy and maintain, you know, your wits about you. You know, this is kind of a good point or a good spot to try to talk about this. One of the things you mentioned earlier, um, and that kind of crosses over is, you know, you talked about selection of puppies and selection or selection of young dogs and whatever else. And then we're talking about some of the fend off exercises. And then um, you talk about some of the exercises where um, you got to go straight from a bite, then directly into the next exercise. And one of the things that we talk mm -hmm. about in HRD a ton uh, with handlers, two things. One is the dog has to be um, used to working away from you and out of sight, which is so you, there's exercises in most sports that deal with that. But specifically, um, what we call drive transitions or Eric and I call transition skills, um, where we go from the highest state of drive, which is biting, to then having to do something else cleanly and quickly. Um, and then neutrality also, right? So you've got officers around, you've got decoys around, you've got judges around, you've got whatever. The dog has to be completely neutral and has to be – and it's a skill that we see a ton in police dogs um, that needs to be worked on a lot and routinely worked on. And in fact, if I get the opportunity to raise a dog – um, that is worked on every time they get out of a kennel. Decoy uh, neutrality and neutrality to everyone mm -hmm. else standing around. Um, it's a hugely underutilized thing. And then the fend-off, too. We have an entire exercise called the gladiator pit in, um, at HRD that serves to kind of illustrate the point. One, about um, – it kind of does a couple of things. It shows the um, equipment fixation uh, with some dogs, and then it shows a dog's willingness to engage despite – you know, something, and it's a true fend off. The, the, most of the stuff that we use is not like you can't get through it. Um, right. So, in that kind of same vein, you know, you're very good. And, you know, I completely agree with you about because I'm at trial level 
like a, a senior level PSA decoy and everyone's like, Oh, it's so stressful trialing. I'm like, shut up. I got to be out there for two fucking days and I got to be right. as good as the first dog as I or good on the last dog as I was on the first one. I don't care how hot it is. And they always take care of us though. Like we always have right. food and the clubs take great care of the decoys. Um, but in that kind of vein, one of the big, um, transitions, like, you know, you started out in sport, um, and you came over to the law enforcement side and I think there is a big, and I know I, I, that's not, I think that I know that there is a big misconception, um, about, uh, police decoys not needing to be as skilled and, or not needing to be as in good a shape and, or, um, just not being able to hack it on the sports side. So kind of talk about the differences between coming over from Mondial Ring and then what it's like working with the patrol dogs. They're experienced patrol dogs too. Right. Um, really quick, I misspoke on the run length. It's one kilometer for time, not two on the international selection. I just realized that. Um, yeah, I'm sure somebody would correct you. Thing, oh, 100%. <laughs> well, so the, the U.S. has changed their decoy selection like three times in the last like eight months and then the international selection has not changed but you know i try to be extraordinarily involved in the sport in the u.s and following these constant changing certification standards it is a circus so when i'm trying to remember who runs where what how fast what points whatever it's a blur but um touching on what you just talked about, you know, I think the physical fitness is almost more important on the police side of things, just because of the nature of the work in monitoring and training, the bites are going to be longer than that. 10 seconds. We're working on a certain skill set, whatever, but they might only be 15 or 20 at most with a young dog while we're working on whatever aspect of an exercise. The last bite that I did like working under Eric before my body imploded was like 15 minutes long. Um, I don't know if I can say what dog, it was one of the dogs up from Tennessee, yeah. but Eric was like, all right, we're going to put him on this bite for a real long time. And, and if we'll he gets back. tired, you're going to stand, <laughs> you're going to stand up and walk him around and then go sit down again. And if he gets tired and starts hanging, you're going to stand up and walk around. And I'm sitting there and it just goes on forever. But you as a decoy still need to provide whatever back pressure, whatever feedback. You need a strong lower back. You need a good set of lungs. You need a good engine running. And I think it's just as important, if not more, because that wasn't the only dog we had to work that day. And yeah. that's one of those things where the work looks different. I'm not running away. I'm not, you know, doing some of those dynamic movements, but I'm using a lot, I think more of like my body and muscles to do those scenarios. So super important. And you see a lot of guys that think it is just, Hey, I'll throw on the suit and I'll work your dog or these next two dogs. And then another officer is going to jump in and whatever. And that's awesome guys getting in it, but you got to do the homework before you get in. Right. When you watch, otherwise a, you're going to be hurting. Yeah. When you watch, um, like a PSA three, um, protection and obedience, uh, routine, and then you watch a Mondio ring three protection and obedience routine, it looks kind of chaotic, right? Um, you know, mm -hmm. especially on the PSA side, it, especially the decoys are, were fucking ridiculous sometimes. Um, but with, with all love intended, cause I love my PSA guys, but we are, we do lay it on the handlers quite a bit and, you know, so it looks kind of chaotic, but with that said, there are definitely like sets of rules and things that we all have to follow. So it's not necessarily scripted in a sense that I know what's not going to happen. Right. When, right. when we're working police dogs, I have learned 
over many mistakes to say, oh, my dog does this. And I hear somebody I don't know say, oh, my dog always does this or my dog always does that. I'm like, fuck, you about to find out. (laughs) And so the predictability is just not um, is just not there. And, you know, the only thing that's predictable is they're going to bite you. And the one thing that I tell like my new decoys like Josh um, and this new kid, Willie, that's hanging out with us and Nathan and now Travis, I'm like, dude, just make sure. And you mentioned it earlier about wearing those sweatpants and you knew you were going to get blasted in tricep. I'm like, just make sure whatever you want bit is sticking out there because that's what they're going to take. And, you know, they're not going to, at least our dogs aren't, um, aren't going to go hunting for a forearm. They're going to blast you in whatever is available in terms of a target that they've seen. And if it's in the dark, it gets even weirder. And, you know, so there is, um, and then the other side too, with sport work that I don't think a lot of guys see in the, uh, the, our law enforcement, I think a lot of people see, especially in French ring, um, are passive bites. Um, yeah. passive bites and Eric and I harp on that, like every, all the time. In fact, I was bitching about it yesterday to my handlers. Um, so, you know, sport work, especially like in French ring, as soon as they, as soon as the decoy freezes up, dogs going to come off. Um, you know, monitoring is, you know, you guys start teaching them as soon as a decoy goes passive that they have to start outing us. We engage passive and maintain a passive bite for however long we're working on whatever that skill set is. But that's a very, right. very big skill set that I think a lot of sport decoys when they come to law enforcement. And I'm like, when I say passive, be fucking passive. Like, don't move. 100%. And if the dog and again, counters and reacts, great. But don't give him anything. And they're like, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> yeah, it's using different muscles that you're not using in the sport work. And in our sport, it is just like French ring. We have, and in PSA, you have a set of guidelines as a decoy that you need to follow. It's not scripted, but these are things you have to do and or can't do. And so for us, on that recall from the handler, decoy goes dead. And you can't be just like a limp noodle getting dragged around. Like you have to freeze and be motionless. And I've gotten a few of my like most stupid, bad injuries from some dog pulling my foot out and rolling my ankle over while I'm just trying to be frozen up after a recall. And you don't see any passive biting in our sports. So that is something that when you jump out of sport into police work, it's weird because we don't do it. We are so used to the second that dog hits you, the show's on. And the second that recall comes frozen, it's done, it's over. So I think getting out of that mentality and getting off of, kind of just doing things subconsciously is really tough for a lot of sport dudes. So let's talk. Um, we, we talked about earlier in the beginning about you being crippled. <laughs> let's talk about the results of some of the stuff that you've done. So I did some stuff that I don't know if I'm the only person that have done it. Or the first person that done it, but I jumped from a level one certification to a level three certification in 11 months. So I hit all of the, criteria and requirements to do that level two certification. And after that to enter, to be able to go to Russia and do that level three in a unbelievably short amount of time, that level three certification is a level one certification is a three year long cert. That level two is a five year and the level three is a five year. And you see a lot of guys that research at level one multiple times. So I did the volume of work, that someone might do in six, seven, eight years in 11 months. And I was beating the crap out of myself and 
you know, trying to just work through it. And so I suffered a lot of injuries and ended up having things compound on each other. It accumulated and I had reconstructive surgery on my pelvis in October. And then since then, I've just been suffering setback after setback. And one of the things that a physical therapist told me at Cleveland Clinic Sports Health that really stood out was that the injuries I had that led to that reconstruction, I let go and built on for so many more months than anyone, like anyone else ever would have. So my recovery is extraordinarily delayed, but I also didn't enter in the condition that someone else would. And I willingly was putting myself in those situations and was just really hard on myself. So I know the last time that I was suiting up over at Eric's, he was showing these guys my legs as I was putting on all these custom fitted unloader braces and things on my joints just so I could like move. And he's like, so like, don't do this. <laughs> don't end up like this guy <laughs> because I wasn't taking care of myself. I was living in the ice bath every day, but I wasn't actually taking time to recover from things. I wasn't receiving care for injuries and I was trying to just kind of like muscle it out. So I literally am on a almost self-imposed house arrest right now because I'm limited to walking about a hundred steps. I can't do stairs. And guess what? There's two steps out my back door and four out my front and I can't get in or out of my own house. And, uh, it, it was kind of funny. We didn't get a video of it, but we got me out the other day and to get back in, I had to lay across our front steps and get rolled onto the landing. And then Alicia oh, was like, so how do you intend on standing? And I had to lay there for a while <laughs> and try and figure out like how I was going to get up because, everything is elevated in my life right now. My bed, my toilet seat, my shower chair, so I can just lean back onto it. And then when I have to get up, kind of rock off and standing up from laying on the ground is not something I can actually do. And so, you know, I got myself here through decoying and these aren't injuries that each themselves would be career ending, but as a whole and like, compiled on top of each other are. So now I'm in a position that I'm not going to be able to get back in the suit again. And my goals for the year are walking with full weight bearing versus, you know, whatever other goals I had originally. So I really just put myself through the ringer trying to jump into this as hard as I could. And that even comes back on like the physical stuff. I've always struggled with body weight and physical condition. I came out of the military at 135 pounds and I blew up to like 205 in about six months and trying to struggle to get back into like a sporty fit shape has been really difficult. And when I started decoying, it became really important to me because I wanted to be on that field doing those trials, working at that high level. And it really culminated and like hit the head for Russia because the points awarded for the physical portion of the certification it's not a point table it's against your fellow decoys so first place finisher of each run earns maximum points and everyone's graded down from their time so i was really trying to show as best Fuck as the curve. could representing the united <laughs> states but yeah you know like i had to i had to do the homework <laughs> for it so like that's why i'm yeah. really jumping on the fitness side of stuff and then when i got involved coming out and training with eric same thing. If I'm trying to do those longer scenarios and do 15 or 20 of them in a row, you have to do it. But so 
regardless, the volume of work that led to the proficiency I have led to injuries and surgeries that I'm going through now. So With this that, is very important, though. Real quick, this is really important because. Yeah. So if you get, if you guys are listening and you're you're in a police training group and you're listening to what he's talking about, all all the preparation and all the trials that he had to do, and still coming down to me, and doing 15, 20 dogs at a time. Uh, at a time, one right after the next long. And, and like when he came up, it was warm out, it was hot out, doing 15 minutes with um, with arguably Peacock. one of the hardest biting dogs. Yeah. And um, and then uh, still keep still keep going. And in between all this, doing all the physical stuff, to get ready. You guys as cops aren't willing to do even a tenth of this, right? You're not, as a decoy, willing to do even remotely close to anything that he's doing, yet you guys shun away the civilian decoys. It makes no sense at all. Why not let this guy come down, or not not Jake so much, but the local Mondial Ring guy, French Ring guy, PSA guy, come down and work your dogs. I bet I guarantee you they're safer at it than you are or the guys in your group are, instead of putting the rookie in the suit. And then guess so what? You don't have to do joke. it. I, it blows me away, this closed-mindedness. So I made this joke back in, like, November, and Eric really quickly shut it down to make sure it was a joke. But <laughs> I told him, if anyone needs a passive decoy, I'm your guy. 100% passive. Cannot move. <laughs> Put me where you need me. I got it. I got it. But one of the other things that, like, on another side of this is getting hurt decoying is not cool. So putting guys that have no business in the suit in positions where they're going to get hurt to haze them isn't cool and not educating people and then putting them in the suit is not cool. But then even coming down like the equipment choice, I'm super open with the medical stuff I have going on right now because like, this is a journey. My year is over 2020 for me is done. You know, I can't make goals right now because well, everything keeps getting delayed. And something that was a recent development that's super relevant to decoys is I'm being treated for three blood clots in my surgical side of my pelvis and leg, but one of those clots we think came from decoying and is a chronic or uh, fibrotic clot, and it's super dangerous. And yeah. these are things I see guys posting pictures of their welts, their bruises. You're not yeah. like cool for that. Like you're putting yourself at risk. And I try to tell guys like if you want to deliver the same performance for the next dog you're working, take care of yourself. But also just take care of yourself so you can be healthy and keep working in general. And so that came into it. Like in our break, I kind of mentioned that one of these scenarios Eric put me in, I chose to wear like the thinnest bite suit pants you've ever seen in your life, but then like an insanely heavy top. But I took the responsibility of setting myself up where nobody was biting my legs that day. Like I was going to advocate for myself and how I presented things to dogs. <laughs> and I made that equipment choice though. So I could, do the scenario Eric wanted me to do. I was going to get stuffed in some little hole or tree or backseat of a car or <laughs> trunk of a minivan and have to come over the seat. But I still <laughs> made selections that were going to try to keep me safe. And at that point, whether I told people about it or not, I was already struggling with a lot of these injuries and trying to figure out, like, man, how am I going to do this scenario today? And that's why when I rolled up with the van of dogs and suits, I needed all that stuff because depending on what we were doing, I was going to need pants that could associate or fit this brace or that brace, or I could do this or that in. 
So I could keep doing that same scenario for all the dogs that showed up that day. So for me, making the jump from sport to police, canine, you know, handling decoying um, was huge because some of the tools I used as a sport dog handler, the handlers for police canine have no application for. And then as a sport and police decoy, the equipment that I use in monitoring specifically are because I really know what we're trying to accomplish and I know what this dog's most likely going to do. And in the police world, I don't have those same familiarities. And with the scenario-based training, you can't depend on kind of predictability. So I became, I think, pretty okay at selecting equipment that was going to give me the protection I needed, but also enable me to do the decoying I needed to do. And so that's huge coming from the sport side and police side of stuff. One of the things that you taught me, and I never really thought about it, um, and I pass it on to everybody, is uh, so we all see the pictures of the police decoy in online and he's shown his, his inside of his arm and it's just pinched and tore up, right? I, I've posted, I've shown those things before. We've all done it. Um, but when you watch you, the first couple times I watched you get dressed for um, just before your injuries or anything like that, I watched you get dressed, you were basically in your underwear in the suit. Um, and I'm like, well, that's interesting. It's not even that hot out or anything like that. And you're like, well, the clothing underneath is what causes a lot of the pinching. Um, <laughs> yep. So if you see, when you see a guy with a hoodie under the bite suit because it's cold out and things like that, you want to get into that a little bit? Well, yeah. So, I mean, think about all these guys that are doing jiu-jitsu and grappling. You get that guy's gi and you get him twisted, locked up. He's not getting out. Like, those grips and hooks are in. And it's the same kind of concept. So when you're in that suit and you're wearing whether it's you know 511 pants or a sweatshirt or hoodie or whatever it's going to have the same concept that dog is going to grab that material the suit and your clothes and potentially whatever flesh or skin of yours in it and that's going to be part of what results in those kinds of you know soft tissue injuries and damage so it is the norm in the sport world that we are wearing tights we are wearing compression tops in that suit, and that's it. And your suit has that kind of swishy nylon liner. And ideally, if you can wear something that's compressing and slick, when they grab that suit and make that grip, you can slide out of it. And so trying to have a suit that's appropriately fitted, but then wearing the right gear under it really makes a difference. That U.S. championship I decoyed in San Diego for 2019, I came out of it with like one welt. And it was like a lower forearm, almost wrist. And in that instance, like, what are you getting out of? Nothing. But, you know, I worked almost 30 dogs at this championship level and my legs were clean. My torso was clean. And I was taking bites all day long, two days running. But I set myself up to be in that position where I could be as healthy as I could be and kind of keep those welts from happening. The big issue that I run into are the guys that want to just hop in the suit wearing, you know, BDU pants or whatever to just catch a dog real quick. And those are the guys I try to tell, take two minutes to take your shit off and, you know, set yourself up to not get welted up. And it's the same thing with guys, you know, trying to wear a one size fits all suit. The custom tailored suit thing isn't just like a fashion thing to get, you know, a fancy design. Having a suit that fits you is going to enable you to, again, keep yourself safe and still be able to work the dogs properly. 
which cracks me up. I'm a really different size than Sean Hagner, and he has my national championship jacket. I mean, like, we're, like, nowhere near the same size. Fits him perfect. No, oh, yeah. Did not fit me. No, yeah, no, <laughs> Did he's, Did not yeah, fit me. He's, uh, yeah, that's the one. He had that in Memphis, and we had a couple of bites. That thing's thin. We had a couple of bites that were a little long, and they had a couple of – Memphis PD has some dogs that um, are – I didn't work them, but Travis and Sean and uh, Eloise and Allie and all the decoys did. <clears throat> and one of those dogs there, his name's Dono. And turns out his actual name is Dono Body Want to Get Bit. Because that motherfucker bites like hard, 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 hard. Hard enough that Sean was like, uh, I need to, I'm going to switch jackets on this one. And Sean's like, this is his Sean's, you know, out of the hundreds of police dogs he worked with this last year. He's like, that's eh, probably the hardest biting dog that I've ever worked. It was one of those big ass German Shepherd Malinois cross things. And uh, super nice dog, but yeah, Sean has your has your your yeah. national championship jacket, the white and orange and blue. He uh, he had to do the good old Jake Scott switcheroo. So <laughs> yeah, anyone put that I wore, on. <laughs> Yeah, the jacket that I wore when I first decoyed for Eric is arguably the thinnest jacket I've ever worn, and I bought it off the stand at the Mondoring World Championship in Bilbao, Spain. And the tailor that I work with that does my suits, he was like, you seriously don't want to buy this. Like, this is just like a display thing to show like a design. Like, this isn't like a meant to be used piece. Like, he had tried to create a bunch of, you know, just display stuff to kind of show off his skills. And I'd put it on. I was like, no, like I can move amazing. And yeah, I could move amazing because there was no padding in it. And that was the jacket <laughs> that I wanted to try out. And when I asked Eric, you know, do you have some hard biters here? And I said, eh, they're okay. All right. Hell yeah. <laughs> really, really yeah, hard okay. choice. Uh, I don't own that jacket anymore. And when I sold it, I was really upfront about what it is and isn't. And it is not a bite suit jacket, in my opinion. Um, best winter coat I've ever worn. Like that thing's good, but you're yeah. not going to be comfortable <laughs> catching dogs. But yeah, so I mean... The equipment stuff is big. What you wear under it's big. And so I did start kind of messing around. Anytime I saw another decoy that wore something under the suit that kept them safe, I would ask a lot of questions about it because I want to know what kind of led them to it. Because you'll see some guys, you know, obviously we all see like people using neoprene or leather gauntlets, but like the pony wraps, like horse wraps, leg wraps, that's something you'll see some guys doing. And then a really good friend of mine uh, from Puerto Rico who's a decoy, he bought a wetsuit and he cut individual legs and arm pieces off and cut them down to size. And he was able to create his own gauntlets for various parts of his body that fit exact how he needed and where he needed. And that was one of the more slick kind of like retrofittings I had seen someone doing where nobody makes a like medial knee to mid thigh gauntlet. It's not something that you could pop on any of the, you know, bite seat or working dog equipment websites and go grab. But he was recovering from an injury. That guy decoys for a living and he needed something like that. And he was able to fashion it out of, you know, this wetsuit. So I ended up amassing a giant duffel bag of stuff that I took with me everywhere I've decoyed the last couple of years. And I do ask a lot of questions on what kind of dogs we're going to be working today because I don't want to set myself up for failure off that first dog and then be kind of depleted for the rest of the day. I'd rather take some stuff off once we're getting going versus the reverse. But so then the same thing with the clothing, again, that's just the one thing I see a lot of guys really making 
uh, an error with. One of the best things I ever found flooring under the suit that is actually discontinued is for a very brief time, Shock Doctor made kickboxing shorts that had padding all the way around. So they had it in the inner thighs, they had it up near the groin and on the hips on the huh. outside. That was a good I idea. could care less about the outside, but for me catching leg dogs, and it's really thin padding, it really, it wasn't like I was wearing a pair of hockey pants or something. It made such a huge difference for those dogs that pinch you. Sometimes that pinch is worse than anything else that happens. And uh, that's kind of how I look at it is I really do strip all the way down. And I'm pretty sure I was probably wearing some neon leggings of some kind when I was at Eric's. And everybody looks and is like, what the hell are you doing? It's like, trust me, I have to mm-hmm. do this. It is not a choice. Like, this is what I have to do so we can get the job done today. Oh, I, I tell you what, to, that's pretty awesome. That's awesome information. I had one other thing on that, too, that I just thought of. I'm sitting here trying to make notes. Mm-hmm. I'm a really bad speaker, and I get lost in stuff when I'm nervous, and I was really nervous to talk to you guys because <laughs> there's just a lot. Why? <laughs> and... Um, well, just, I mean, I have like three pages of notes on monitoring the sport. Oh. Then I have some bullet points on the things that I've done that I felt were significant. I'm trying to sit here and cover this stuff, but something that I've done decoying that put me at risk that was stupid, I see other people do, is I wore a suit that was too small for me because I paid for it. I paid for a suit. I waited eight weeks for it. It showed up. It was slightly too small, but I was like, man, I paid 1500 bucks for this thing. I'm going to use it. I'm going to sack it up. And guess what? I got bit really badly somewhere you shouldn't get bit. And so not only do I see guys wearing stuff inappropriate under it, but all these suits that are custom tailored, they can be made wrong, whether your measurements were off or the tailor or whatever. And it's okay for you to say like, Hey, I can't use this. And especially when you're talking about guys that are either fundraising for suits or, you know, they're paying out of their pocket. Some of the officers I've gotten to work with, hit up those companies that made that suit and explain what's going on. And those guys will be really accommodating. Nobody wants anybody getting hurt training these dogs for the job. And I've seen it one too many times where people did exactly what I did, where they're like, you know, screw it. I paid for the thing. I waited. I want to try it. And one of them is a monitoring competitor who will jump in the suit for other people in her club. And she ended up having to have like a metal plate put in her ankle uh, the pants were dramatically too short. Dog live yep. bit her ankle, and she had to have a pretty serious surgery. But it was that exact scenario. She had waited so many months. She was really excited. It was a design that she had made and the company made for her, and she said, screw it. It's probably okay. It's okay to say that it's messed up, and it's okay to email the company and be like, hey, guys, like I can't use this. What can we do to resolve it? And I know the suits that you guys wear, that dude's awesome. The suits that I wear you know, the Taylor Javier, same thing. Like if you have a problem, let's fix it. Let's, let's figure it out. And if it's a size thing or whatever. So that was the one other thing that I had a bullet point on besides just what you wear under it. If the suit itself doesn't fit you or isn't adequate for the work, it doesn't matter what you put on underneath it. Like you're getting hurt. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. For sure. And I mean, Alicia calls mine, my whoopee. Because, I mean, and it's That's the same thing. That's like, what it is. Yeah, because if I have to go somewhere and use somebody else's suit, I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> like, I don't want to. I want to use mine. And I have more than one, So, but I have several yeah. woobies. But, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. In fact, Arno's making me a new one uh, with the exact same measurements as my other ones. And I'm like, do not change anything <laughs> for that exact reason. So, yeah, I mean, 100%, it's a super important 
piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Um, so we'll go ahead and uh, wrap up here because this this has been really amazing, um, as I knew it would be. So we'll recap here. So um, you had a you've had a really good life or interesting for sure in uh, tattooing, uh, band. Uh, fighting like in real world combat in Israel, um, all this high level stuff. And the most important thing that people are going to take out of this episode is they're all going to fucking go to Craigslist and look for fucking dogs <laughs> on like, Craigslist. Fucking Jake said that. Out of all that. Do that. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying that dog, he has no teeth left, by the way. Like he is the most genetic, awful disaster but Craigslist Kennels put a Mondering Three Dog out this year, so can't knock him. Can't knock him. <laughs> Soft ears, overbite. Yeah. He lost his two canines because that overbite punched him into the roof of his mouth, and he got murked yep. up. And uh, he just like he has the weirdest structure ever. He comes out of the truck, and people are like, "What the hell is this thing?" But his scorebook says Belgian Malinois, and he does have the scores in it. So Craigslist, <laughs> I'm telling you, yeah. they, they do the thing. Um, yeah, no, I really enjoyed getting to chat with you guys. And like I said, I had about a million notes and didn't know what way we were going to go talking about stuff, but I love stuff. <laughs> and I yeah. literally broke myself doing it. So how, how can people get a hold of you, Jake? Because I'll tell you this guys, um, and it's going to be a while for, before Jake could actually like come out and, um, you know, do things with you and things like that. But, uh, if you guys are obedience nuts or maybe you're struggling with the obedience in your dog, I'm telling you to watch Jake and probably most of those other people work dogs. Like I sit there and, and he's working these dogs that he's showing me. And it's amazing the fluidity and, and how they get these dogs to do what they do. And there's just, there's some tricks involved in it too, but it's pretty amazing stuff. So Jake, how, how can people get a hold of you if they got questions from this or anything like um, that? So... I am on Instagram. My Instagram handle is E-S-Q-I-I-I. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, just Jake Scott. I do have my pet dog training business, Heights Canine in Cleveland, Ohio. And while I'm currently down and recovering from all this stuff, I'm super available. So, you know, shoot me a DM on Instagram, add me on Facebook, uh, follow my business, whatever. And, you know, hit me up. I'm trying to kind of find where my new place in this world is going to be following all these surgeries because getting back in the suit isn't one of them. So I need to figure out, you know, that next chapter. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I have a really good friend handling my dog for me at the upcoming uh, national championship in Denver in April because I can't even be around my dog. Because like I told you guys right before we popped on started recording, even just being around a dog, I got hurt again, had a dog run into me while I was on my walker and buckle my knee and hyperextend it. So like, I just cannot do what I do for now. I have to be in a bubble and, uh, that's kind of where I'm at. So, you know, give me an ad, give me a follow, shoot me a message, whatever. And I'll probably talk your ear off about whatever you want to about Monty ring or dog mm -hmm. training and then some Ted, what about you? Where can we find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram, Ted underscore summers. Um, you can find, the podcast Instagram working underscore dog underscore radio. Uh, we do a lot of contests and giveaways there. We give away like $3,000 of the dog or stuff just this year in 2020. And we're not even to March yet. So we give away a ton of stuff there. Um, and then also on Facebook, you can find work. Just look for working dog radio. 
Um, also, um, yeah, Torchlight K9, letter K number nine, both on Instagram and on Facebook is the Kennel side. And then uh, HRD Police K9, letter K number nine, on Instagram and on Facebook will get you to uh, HRD stuff. That's where uh, Ray keeps that updated with where we're going, what the next seminar is, um, all that relative stuff. We've actually gotten um, a couple of Canines United signed on um, to sponsor people, um, departments that couldn't afford to go. Uh, to the HRDs otherwise, so they're giving a, a tuition break to some underfunded departments to people that need it. So all of that information is available through Ray at HRDPoliceK9.com, letter K number nine. Uh, but yeah, uh, what about you? Uh, Van S K9 on Instagram. Uh, that's all the working dog stuff. Pet dog stuff's on Van S K9 Academy on Facebook. And uh, Van S Doggy Daycare for cute little doggy daycare pictures. Uh, on Patreon, we're Working Dog Radio. Um, yep. And... Uh, that's about it, man. Yeah. Uh, Jake, we really appreciate it. Uh, appreciate having you on. Great stuff. Yeah. yeah. And um, take take care of yourself, man. I don't want to hear any more knee buckling bullshit and all this other mm. stuff, man. I, I need you. Uh, Ted and I, Ted and I, during this conversation, we're texting back and forth about maybe in the future seeing if you would be interested in being on our HRD decoy instruction team. So, um, absolutely, we need you to recover. I'm- that involves not, not getting get that involves not getting bit. So <laughs> Yeah. I'm working on a armored walker to go to Nashville, yeah. Denver. Just because I haven't seen my dog in a like fucking four tank. <laughs> I am I'm not playing games. I am going to protect my legs and I'm gonna make this happen. And we actually just got my medical clearance to fly yesterday. So I didn't even know I was gonna be able to go. So that was pretty exciting. So I will get better. And we will sort it out. Awesome. Okay. All right, guys. Thank you. Excellent. Appreciate it. Another great episode of Working Dog Radio coming yeah, at we'll you. See, see you guys on the 13th. One of the groups that's been with us since the beginning are the guys from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, that also host the Bravo 3 Conference. Uh, that is Tripwire Operations Group. They have tons of stuff that goes boom. And they are a fantastic training facility for explosives and training of Everything related to it for America's first responders, not just for police and military, but also for first responders. So head over to tripwireops.com to hit them up and see what classes they got going on. Um, and then be sure to come and see Eric and I at Bravo 3 this year in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania in October. So our very first sponsor on the podcast was Arno out at uh, ALM Suits and Canine Equipment. Uh, the other day on a Facebook group, uh, somebody asked on there, what's what's the best hidden sleeve on the market? Uh, without a doubt, it, is ALM's hidden sleeve. There's probably 10, 15 people on that post and they got in there. ALM, ALM, ALM. It is so easy. His stuff is so good. Arno's a good dude, man. If you get a hold of him, that's the guy answering the phone. That's the guy doing all the work. ALMK9Equipment.com. I have a suit from there. Best hugs on the market. Not even close. The best hugs on the market and the best hidden sleeve. Hit up Arno, ALMK9Equipment.com. Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO. That's all capitals for 10% off your first order. You know, one of the things about this podcast that everybody mentions that they love is the intro and exit music. And it was kind of a uh, big deal when we started the podcast to have that. And I want to say thank you personally to Brother Deeg, um, who is the artist and has graciously allowed us to use this music. And everybody be sure to head over to Brother Deeg, D-E-G-E dot net, uh, buy a T-shirt or go to Spotify or Apple iTunes or wherever. 
and stream his music or go and buy some. Um, he's on tour all the time. He plays Tulsa frequently. Um, I love to see him when he's here. Uh, fantastically talented artist from Louisiana. Uh, and has graciously allowed us to use his music. So enjoy it. Download more of it. Um, Brother Deeg, D-E-G-E dot net. Go hit him up, guys. Thanks. You got your reasons. I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die young now. Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.